Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Hi and welcome back to All Fired Up. I'm so pleased to have you with me again and really excited to bring you this week's conversation. So let's talk about Michelle Bridges. You knew this was going to happen, right? She has just released a new book, God Help Us All. It's called Keeping It Off because apparently she has decoded the incredible weight loss mystery that everyone's been trying to solve for 70 years, but somehow the biggest loser trainer has come up with how to keep it off forever. Yay from Michelle Bridges. Can you hear my sarcasm (laughs) and annoyance? Michelle Bridges has always pissed me off because she epitomizes everything that's wrong with the fitness culture that's happening right now. So for those of you who might not be familiar with who she is, In Australia, she was a trainer on The Biggest Loser for many years and gained kind of notoriety through that, being mean to people on that show. And she developed a 12-week online weight loss program which gathered a huge amount of followers and repeat customers. And she's just written book after book on diet and weight loss and it's all very judgy and very weight-biased and very, you know, fake, orthorexic, disturbing stuff that that really I think contributes a lot to many of the problems that we're facing diet culture anyway she's released this new book keeping it off and it's really annoying me and then I got this amazing contact a new author called Natalie Jovanovsky has written this book it's called digesting femininities the feminist politics of contemporary food culture Natalie's at Swinburne University down in Melbourne and she has just written the most amazing book. I really strongly encourage everybody listening to go out and buy it. It's awesome. So she deconstructs in this book how the rhetoric of female empowerment is being used in our discussions, in our representations around food and how this is just contributing to a real pathological consciousness around food. So, you know, contributing to food guilt and food obsession and moralities really around food. So it's a fantastic book and in the book there is actually a chapter devoted to why Michelle Bridges sucks. I I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this chapter because knowing on one level that Michelle Bridges sucks is one thing, actually being explained like why she sucks from a feminist perspective is just so illuminating. I just loved her chapter in this book. So I got her onto the show and the conversation that we had was completely incredible. I really hope you enjoy listening to her and unpacking exactly why Michelle Bridges sucks. So welcome, Natalie. I'm so happy and excited to have you on the show this week. Thanks for having me. So what's firing you up? Well, I don't know if you've seen this, but Michelle Bridges has released yet another diet book. Oh, yes, yes. This one, what's it called? Keeping It Off by Michelle Bridges. Yes. So... Apparently, Michelle has done what weight scientists around the world have struggled for 70 years to Mm -hmm. find the answer to, which is 
being able to keep off weight after people have dieted because we know overwhelmingly like we have level a evidence that when people lose weight on diets they put it back on yes apparently yeah. this fitness trainer and completely unqualified in weight science has found the answer so that's pretty amazing it is, yeah. You'd think it was quite positive, wouldn't you? But um, no, no, not at all. Especially not given her track record in writing books like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're quite familiar with her work, right? Because you have written an amazing book called Digesting Femininities, The Feminist Politics of Contemporary Food Culture. And oh my God, this is such an amazing book. <laughs> Thank you. And in it, you actually have a chapter on why Michelle Bridges sucks. Yes, I do. Yeah, I have an entire section in my book on why Michelle Bridges sucks. Um, so I recommend people going out there and buying it and having a read. <laughs> so why does she suck? Well, I mean, she sucks from, you know, a multitude of reasons. But I think one of the main reasons that she sucks and one of the main reasons that I've identified in the book is that she promotes this really toxic liberal individualist version of femininity when she writes her diet books. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? <laughs> so liberal individualism is just a really fancy way of saying it's like a political perspective that focuses very much on the choices of the individual right? Yeah. and on the freedom to make certain choices. So if we're talking about the diet industry, the freedom to choose is basically the freedom to choose certain weight loss practices, yeah. like you know certain eating behaviours or certain types of exercises. And what's bad about this liberal individualist position is that it also inadvertently will promote self-blame behaviour in people. Yeah, yeah, well, it does. I mean, I see that with my clients all the time. I mean... The focus is always from diet culture. The focus is always on you as an individual needing to do these things. But what we know from weight science is that individual responsibility for weight is just not cutting it because the vast majority of factors that go into what someone weighs are beyond their individual control. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So instituting this sort of political perspective where we're saying, you know, individuals are principally responsible for maintaining a certain type of cultural ideal that may not even be genetically healthy for them. Mm, or possible, according to weight science. Or necessary in any way. You know, if they should fail with their choices, so-called fail, that they're failures and that, they're, you know, they've got themselves to blame for this failure. And I think that that sets up a really dysfunctional and disordered relationship that people develop with food and eating. Yeah, yeah, it really does because we're using a product that doesn't work and then when it doesn't work, we're blaming ourselves yeah. for something that is not our fault. But the entire diet culture is built on this idea of keeping on telling us that it's our fault and that yes. we need to keep on trying. Yes, exactly. And Michelle does that quite successfully in the book that I critiqued in my book called Losing the Last Five Kilos. So I don't know if you've heard of that book. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> losing the Last Five Kilos is all about losing this menacing last five kilos that we're all supposed to want to lose. <laughs> yeah I don't know you know I'm not into it but yes it's assumed that we all want to be smaller it's also assumed that we should be 
trying to lose those last five kilos? And what kind of messages is she putting out in that book? Well, she really perpetuates the idea that we are imperfect as we are, but we're always perfectible. So we can always be better. And by better, she means skinnier. Smaller, yeah, yeah. So there's no kind of critique of that idea. Not at all. And she, you know, she conflates the idea of aesthetics. So looking beautiful or this cultural ideal or stereotype of being beautiful with health as well. <gasps> yeah. So it's really, really difficult to untangle some of those messages because she uses messages that relate to aestheticism as a way to promote health, which is really, really damaging. That's the sneakiness of the diet industry you know, in our current climate, right? It's this, it used to be much more about beauty ideals, but now it's health ideals are coming into it and they're just being really confused and not picked apart whatsoever. Yeah, well, the diet industry is so successful and continues to be so successful precisely because it is so malleable to social trends. Mm, mm. So, you know, diet industry executives, they know that the diet industry has a bad reputation. So they've needed to rebrand themselves in a way that will be more palatable to female audiences. And female audiences are their principal consumers. Yeah, yeah. Principal consumers of their messages. So they'll find lots of little creative ways to do that. Mm. So the health thing is obvious, like this conflating, like really it's about appearance, but we're going to pretend it's all about health. And then they call it empowering. Yes. So that's something that I found when I did my analysis of contemporary best-selling cook, uh, diet books, sorry. They use this pseudo-feminist language of empowerment and sisterhood to spread a weight loss message and a really a body policing message to young women. Oh, that's so well put. Yes. Well, Michelle Bridges, I've got actually got a little excerpt here in front of me. Oh, okay. I'm bracing myself. Yeah, do brace yourself. This is from Losing the Last Five Kilos, I believe. She says, take a photo of yourself in your underwear or swimmers. I know I'm really pushing the friendship here, but you'll be so glad you did this when you reach your goal. Oh, yeah. There's no friendship here whatsoever. (laughs) There's no friendship there, but there's almost this like pseudo, you know, this facade of friendship. Yeah. Telling you this to help you. And in that quote, there's absolutely no emphasis on health whatsoever. It's all about judging your health based on the superficial contours of your body. Yeah. And also the assumption of, I know I'm pushing the friendship here, like taking a picture of yourself in underwear is, of course, a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because of how bad your body is right now. But you'll thank me after I've starved you into submission. (laughs) Yeah. Use it as a motivating guide. You know, it's pretty much that's how she's representing it. Mm. And what she's doing is setting up your classic before and after shot. Yeah. You've got your before shot where you're really unhappy with yourself and you're frowning. And then one day you're going to reach that aspirational after shot where Mm. you're really, really happy with your weight. You're really happy with your body. That sort of magical future moment that you're going to be happy with yourself. Mm. It's just such a destructive way of promoting health. I mean, you know, her claim is that she promotes health, but that to me is not a promotion of health. That to me is a promotion of sexism and superficiality. (laughs) Yes, because why are we trying to look like that? Yeah. Why are we trying to look smaller? What does that actually satisfy? 
Well, there's been lots of feminist writing over the years about why we're constantly striving to be smaller and smaller. And I think Naomi Wolf wrote a really interesting book, although I do critique some of her work as well, but, mm-hmm. but she did make a really some really good points in the beauty myth where she started talking about women's desire to become smaller and smaller has a lot to do with the fact that they don't feel that they're worthy to take up any space. Yeah. Because you I, don't see as much of that in young men. Yeah, no, it's definitely difficult to take up space as a female and the less of you the better. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and horribly disturbing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and the policing your body thing to be, I guess, pleasing to men and to the male gaze. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I use the term body policing all throughout the book, which I frame as a really harmful form of gendered socialisation. So we're taught from very early on that we need to scrutinise our bodies for our appearance so we need to get rid of any you know so-called unwanted or unsightly hair we need to lose weight to fit some sort of appropriate cultural ideal and all of this so that we don't get judged Mm, mm. by this you know anonymous invisible male gaze oh wow that's exactly right in untrapped which is our online program the entire kind of thing talks well I guess the the whole kind of way I talk about what we're trying to do is using the analogy of prisons so we are kind of diet culture is a giant prison it's a giant jail and within that giant jail there's there's food prison and there's exercise prison and there's body prison as well so I love that idea that you're talking about body policing yeah because in Untrapped I talk about the prison guards it's kind of the same kind of idea that there's this constant judgment constant scrutiny that you need to be looking at your body all the time seeing it from the perspective of the male gaze and really trying hard all the time to perfect it it's really interesting that you say that that's the idea behind untrapped is sort of this prison setting because you know the way that i define body policing is like being in a panoptic situation. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the panopticon before. Weirdly, weirdly, yes, because I did a criminology degree alongside my psychology degree when I was starting out. And I read Foucault's of Prisons and Punishment, and I think he talks about the panopticon in that. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting structure, isn't it? I mean, it it was designed for self-policing, for prisoners to police themselves. Yeah. So it's a just... You can please correct me because it's been years since I read about the Panopticon, but it was an architectural solution for prisons when they were building prisons in the 1800s. And the Panopticon idea is like a, in the middle of a prison, there's like a central structure. And from that central structure, every prisoner is monitored in all aspects all the time. So there is always an eye on the prisoner. Yes, or or a supposed eye on the prisoner, because one of the interesting things that I found about the Panopticon was that tower in the centre of the prison was so high and it had tinted glass, I think, at the top, so you didn't really know if there was anyone even up there watching you. You couldn't see in, yeah. No, and eventually you would start behaving and policing yourself because you're just constantly under the assumption that someone is watching you. Yeah. And I think that it's really similar for young women in this day and age, or women in general in this day and age, in this 
diet infused culture. It's like we've constantly got this invisible eye scrutinizing us that we then develop that sort of self scrutiny ourselves to cope. Yeah. Yeah, and I talk about that in Untrapped. And when I read your chapter and you were talking about the panopticon and how because there's a panopticon, prisoners start policing themselves, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that's exactly right. Because I do talk in Untrapped and to all my clients about how all of this scrutiny that we get from diet culture, we eventually internalise and just start doing it ourselves. Yes, yeah, and it becomes a real normative discontent. Like, you know, we're never going to be happy with our body, but that's just normal for a woman. Yeah, Um, yeah, because we just assume that we're imperfect and that we have to keep trying. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, you know, the sad thing is that it's not just our personal assumption. It's we're constantly getting messages around us Mm. that that Mm. is the reality. Yeah, from people like Michelle Bridges. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I don't even know if she's aware that she's doing it. I think that on some level, she may think that she's doing a really good job, but implicitly, this is what's coming through in her message. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, one of her hallmarks is you don't think. (laughs) Yeah, you just do. So any kind of reflection from her part about this and like I mean I've heard her on interviews in the media and being critiqued on everything that she's been saying and there's a constant lack of self-reflection going on yeah yeah and she just reinforces her own message without kind of seeming to listen to the critiques that are going on yes yeah well she sees them as an excuse I think you know her famous mantra is just effing do it yeah, yeah, you can swear on this program if you like. She does oh, say, yeah. Awesome. She says, just <laughs> fucking do it. That felt really satisfying, by the way. Thanks for that. <laughs> no, it's pretty fun. <laughs> um, so that, you know, she really, really believes in that mantra. And you know where she ripped that off from? Yeah, from Nike? Yeah, but you know where they got it from? No. So this is a really creepy story, but there was an American serial killer called Gary Gilmore. And he had been sentenced to death. And just as he was about to be executed by firing squad, they must have been waiting around for a little bit or something because he got impatient and shouted, let's do it. And I know it's so morbid. And Nike executives heard this and said, wow, this would be a really fantastic slogan for us. Just do it. God, just kill me. Yeah, isn't it horrible? And, you know, they sort of frame that as the grit and determination of a person to want to succeed in exercising and having the perfect body. Mm. So now Bridges has taken that slogan and given it sort of like this cruder Aussie take, like made a cruder Aussie take on the slogan. Mm, Yeah, but also like a little bit, I don't know, edgy or cool, you know, because she's swearing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she puts it, she's monogrammed it on her hats and her T-shirts and stuff. So, you know, it's, she really believes in it. Oh, <laughs> it's just so mean. Just fucking do it. Like, yeah. like, don't worry about the biological impossibility of what you're trying to do. Yeah. Don't worry about the sexism that's implicit in what you're trying to do. Like, yeah. Don't think. Don't think. Just fucking do it. Well, I found it interesting. I questioned. I was like, you know, you're telling me to just fucking do it. But what is it? Mm. What does it mean? Like, are you telling me to be healthy? Mm. Like, that's not what I'm hearing. Are you telling me to lose weight? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, why very much. Wait? Why should I lose weight exactly? None of it is really justified in a way mm. that I can feel confident with what she's telling me. You know, in fact, I, I get really, really suspicious in her claims <laughs> of just fucking doing it because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're just ordering me to do something that I might not want to do. Yes, that it might not be necessary as well, like, or healthy or possible, you know, and mm. it's absolutely irrational, but it's successful. You know, she is a best-selling author and that's the really concerning part. I know. I mean, it really bothers me. A lot of the people that I'm talking about here on the podcast have crazy levels of popularity. So you think about just how many people are not thinking and just fucking doing it because mm -hmm. there's so much social judgment in a positive way if people are obeying the rules. Yeah. Like when I was researching these books, I sort of thought, what is it that's making these books so palatable to so many people? women you know why are they picking this up and using it as a bible in a lot of ways like there's a lot of people out there who really sing her praises yeah and really kind of act a bit evangelical if she's criticized <laughs> yes yeah exactly i think one of the reasons why her book or why her the narrative that she presents is so palatable is because it gives this illusion of control Mm, yeah. And I think that women are so desperate to feel in control in a world where they have such limited control and such limited choices that they really feel that, that she's going to help them in her message. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you can become, you know, the winner at the beauty game, mm. then and aren't we given that message that, you know, women that look like Michelle Bridges have got it all and do enjoy everything on a plate kind of thing. Well, with the exception of food. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I kind of feel like even in the media, she sort of presents herself. You know, I talked a little bit about this in the book. She presents herself as that successful aftershot. Yeah. So, you know, the way that she refers to her readers is, well, actually I have a little quote here. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can read it. I'm bracing again. Please brace. Yes, I think that's a good move. Um, she says, chances are you've picked up this book because you're sick to death of lugging around those extra kilos and you want to look and feel better. Notice that look was first there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you've just had a baby or the middle-aged spread has snuck up on you or you've lost a lot of weight but can't get that last five kilos off. Well, maybe you're desperate to get into your skinny jeans. God. Yeah, her emphasis is in her books is you are not at that stage where you feel happy with yourself. Mm -hmm. I am somebody who feels happy with myself. Therefore, you should listen to me and one day you'll feel happy with yourself too. Uh, and it's deceptive. It is deceptive because I do know that she has never struggled with weight. Mm. Well, she's somewhere along the line. I kind of feel like I've heard her say that she was, I think these are her words as well, that she was chubby at some stage in her teenage years and that she adopted sort of phys ed as yeah. a way to sort of compensate with feeling bad about herself. Mm. So she really, really does see herself as like that sort of inspirational aftershot. Like if you just follow me, you'll also be happy one day. Yeah, but the, even if she was experiencing chubbiness as a kid, not that there's anything wrong with that, her path from there has been like obsessive exercise and strict control of food ever since. Yeah. And so from that sense, she has not struggled in the same way that 95 plus percent of people go so because she is acting like a robot because she is acting like someone with a bit of an eating disorder 
Yeah, absolutely. And I sort of feel like, well, she says, what's your excuse if you don't exercise? Her job is exercising. So Mm. (laughs) right at the top of her priority, she's built a career on exercising. Not everybody has the opportunity to exercise all the time. Not that that's even a healthy thing to be doing all the time. And also, you know, not that it's anyone's moral imperative to pursue this. As any, I mean, what's her excuse for not being in Africa helping people get clean water? Yeah. You know, how we choose to live our lives is not something we then go and demand other people to go and do. Yeah, but that's very much at the heart of her liberal individualist position. It's like... You know, we're all a series of individuals. All we need to do is change our own behaviours. Watch me. I changed my own behaviour. You can do it too. Mm. It's never really about any tackling any sort of structural inequality that might be precipitating poor health, for example. You know, I never, ever hear her talking about how welfare reforms are impacting single mothers' relationships with food. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I never hear her talking about the limitations of, you know, so-called workplace flexibility on women's relationships with food. You know, she doesn't tackle those structural issues. She just focuses on the individual woman and getting her to change her behaviour. And she also never touches on the very real impact of weight stigma and weight prejudice on people's health behaviours. In fact, she actually contributes to them. She does, yeah. She almost proudly contributes to them. Yeah. There was a comment, wasn't there, about she has never met a happy, fat person. Yeah, I remember that one. It's so insulting. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. She really perpetuates that myth of lipo literacy, like the idea that you can read a person's the superficial contours of a person's body and give them a health evaluation based on that. Yeah. What's that called? Lipo. Lipo literacy. I believe that lipo means fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literacy means the reading of. So the reading of fat. Oh, I love that term. I actually stole that term from Samantha Murray. (laughs) (laughs) She wrote a really fantastic book called The Fat Female Body about 10 years ago now. Mm. And she talks about how, you know, I talk a little bit about it in my book as well, but how we've created these cultures of lipo literacy where we basically just going around making really big claims about health and well-being just based on someone's appearance. Yeah, and it's happening all the time and in, in all walks of life. Yeah. And if mm. you have a medical degree, you'd know that it's virtually impossible mm. <laughs> to comment on a person's cholesterol or blood pressure or anything like that just by looking at their body weight. Yeah, but that in a weight prejudiced society, we can. You know, a couple of episodes ago, I was talking to Sarah Harry about this, about how a New South Wales head of the AMA was angry about plus size models on the catwalk because it's glorifying obesity and ill health. And so there's an example, right, of a doctor judging health, someone he's just seen a picture of. It's really concerning and confusing. I mean, what that tells me is that person has medical knowledge, but for whatever reason, their moralistic attitudes to body weight are taking precedence. Mm -hmm. That's the bias and prejudice that we see. There's so much bias according to how we see fatness in our culture. It overrides scientific knowledge. Yeah. And then it influences, you know, the everyday woman and how comfortable she feels eating you know i hear unbelievable things about women being in restaurants and not wanting to order certain meals because it says something about them supposedly 
Yeah, I know that probably the majority of the women that I talk to in larger bodies feel very uncomfortable eating in public. Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me. The attitudes out there are really uninformed and in a lot of cases quite aggressive, I feel. Yeah, it's getting worse, I think. You know, I think with the twin influences of worship of the thin ideal and the increased hysteria of the so-called obesity epidemic, those two things coming together are really kind of unleashing a climate where it's okay to say anything about people's health or habits based on what they look like. Well, you know, this idea of the obesity epidemic, like every time I hear about it, I sort of get really annoyed. And, you know, the term epidemic suggests that there's some sort of active pathogen out there in the air that we're, <laughs> we're all going to pick up and it's, you know, it's a virus and it's dangerous and it is hysteria. Yeah, the rhetoric used is no nothing short of hysterical and judgmental. We've kind of lost the plot when it comes to thinking critically about this. Well, this is why I sort of, in my book, I talk about this idea of pathogenic cultures because, you know, the obesity epidemic is such a common phrase now. But I talk about these sort of diet cultures that people like Michelle Bridges are producing. I refer to those as pathogenic as well. I think that their messages are spreading virally. Yeah. And they're toxic and they're actually potentially going to cause far more harm yeah. than any good that may come out of their health promotion, you know, healthy diet messages. So, Well, they are causing harm. We've seen such a huge increase in eating disorders and the changing face of eating disorders from focus on thinness to focus on health, you know, that becoming obsessive is definitely having an impact. People are not getting thinner and happier. Yeah. People are getting more screwed up and guilty and more obsessed. And there's more of a division between like the quote unquote healthy elite and the majority of people who are struggling and not being recognized and validated in that struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as a culture now, we've heard a lot about anorexia. Probably we could hear more about it, but culturally, I think it's a regular feature, I feel, of programs, news programs that talk about the dangers of like catwalk models and, you know, magazine images and stuff like that. So I think that we're quite used to hearing about anorexia, but we're not as used to hearing about orthorexia, which is mm. that unhealthy or obsessive focus on exercise and good health, such mm. as health. And yeah. I think that's where these diet books capitalise on that cultural anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we need to be hearing messages about the danger of that kind of exposure in the same way that we were hearing about the exposure of the thin ideal. But I think we're, you know, I don't know how far away we are from that mainstream recognition of the harm of health obsession. Well, I'm hearing it slightly but we could always hear more about it i really think that we need to emphasize it as a sort of cultural virus in a way that really is being promoted by popular cultural figures i, I like thinking of michelle bridges as a virus <laughs> <laughs> isn't it a great alternative to talking about the obesity epidemic <laughs> it's much more useful much more yeah. useful to push back You've got to really think about the macro politics of this. You know, where is it starting? And it's starting with these cultural messages. So those are what we need to target. We need some sort of immunisation against these messages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to kind of reject our... Well, we have to recognise our own inner prison, right? The panopticon operating in our heads. Yeah, we need to acknowledge that it exists. 
and that yeah. we do it and that it didn't come from us. So we've been socialized to engage in this behavior and in this sort of thinking. It's not something that we created ourselves. So we can't take blame for it. You know, we can't do what liberal individualist philosophies tell us that we do. We have to look into the society and culture that we come from to understand why we do it. Yeah, well, that's what Untrapped is all about, I guess, you know, is helping people who are doing it to see the panopticon inside and to reject it and push back against diet culture and to see it. And I loved, before we started recording, we were having a chat and you were saying, once you see it, you can't unsee it, yes. which is weird because I say the same thing to clients. <laughs> but once you do see this culture for what it is, and once you do see the fact that you've internalised something, that you didn't develop that body policing, you know, you didn't develop that internal panopticon, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And I sort of feel that you become a lot more powerful and agentic after that. You can start thinking, well, how do I challenge these structural inequalities rather than focusing on how do I change my body to fit some sort of unrealistic ideal? That's right. Or like I put it like, how do I smash down the prison rather than try to become the model prisoner? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, the thing about, because you have a degree in psychology and a degree in sociology, I only have the degree in psychology, but I guess the criminology stuff that I did was sociologically focused. And I, I just don't think when we talk about eating and food and body issues, we can't be traditionally psychological and just keep the problem within the individual. No. We have to locate this in a context and we have to locate it in our society and in our culture. And if we really mean it, that we want people to get better from having disturbed relationships with their bodies and food, we've got to change the culture. Yeah, which is going to be significantly harder to do, which is why I think that people rely on that sort of individual behaviour change. It's a bit too tricky, right, to kind of dismantle gender stereotypes or sexism. It's much easier to just go on a diet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of the problem as well. Like I was telling you before we started, there's a part of me that actually feels really sorry for a lot of psychologists because the tools that you're given, you know, individual one-on-one -on -one tools with your client. So, you know, you look at things like cognitions, emotions and behaviour, but you don't really give in as much room to look at what's contributing to those cognitions, emotions and behaviours. So that's why I think what you're doing is really fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. Because you're actually focusing on where this issue is starting. Yeah. And I think that once I did start focusing on where all of this stuff is coming from and bringing it much more into sessions and then eventually onto the online program, people kind of get better quicker. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Because you lose the shame. It's like, it wasn't my fault I'm born into this ridiculous prison. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and nothing's wrong with me. So instead of internalising that anger or that yeah. uncomfortable feeling, you're externalizing and you're going, how do I challenge this? Yeah. It's outside yeah. of me. This is outside of me. It's not a part of me anymore. Yeah. I reject it. I reject this diet culture. I see this for what it is and I'm going to walk away. 
yeah trying to be a model prisoner so how can people who are listening put this into practice be a bit more critical push back what would be some of your suggestions well one of the suggestions that i make in my book is actually every time i make the suggestion people are like oh you're such a utopian vision oh not (laughs) why aim less than that right exactly And, and i do think it can be done but i do promote what's known as a genderless food culture so One of the things that we tend to do as women is that we're socialised into this environment where we think that we're not worthy of food a lot of the time, Mm. that we need to put ourselves second. So I'll often hear mothers saying, you know, I've made food for my kids, but I eat last. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, I hear that too. Or even myths like, you know, I have a growing son, so I have to feed him a lot of food, but the same thing isn't said for daughters. Mm. We carry these sort of gendered assumptions about food and eating. And something that I suggest is that we should break free from that and challenge those things quite critically. So every time you hear something like that, you challenge it. Mm. And you challenge it not only at a personal level, so with the people around you, but you can also challenge it on an institutional level. So you can directly challenge the diet industry. You can directly challenge any other sexist stuff that you see out there that's telling women that they have to be a certain size or have a certain appearance. But also an example that I use in my book that I think is a really useful one is looking at the way that feminists mobilised back in the early 70s where they really tried to demystify medicine for women and the medical practice for women. So an example that I give is the Boston Women's Health Book Collective. Yeah. Basically started off with a group of about 12 women, I think, and they were really fed up with how doctors weren't including their perspectives or their lived experiences into the medical practice or into the medical setting. So one of the things they did was they wrote a book basically demystifying every single part of their bodies and their experiences. And one of those chapters or two of those chapters were about food and exercise. Wow. And nowhere in their descriptions did it mention appearance. Wow. So it was largely focusing on fostering a sense of strength in women rather than fostering, you know, a standard of beauty. And I think that when we talk about this sort of stuff, like if you are a psychologist and you're listening to this, if you are a sociologist and you're listening to this, if you are a public health person and you're listening to this, we are responsible for spreading messages that focus on reinforcing strength in women rather than reinforcing body policing and this obsession with aesthetics. I love that you said that. Yeah, we are responsible. We are, definitely. Mm. If you are in an authoritative position, you are responsible for spreading that message. And there's lots of creative ways that we can do it. It's exciting to think about the many different ways that we can do it. Yeah. Once you see it, then you can start talking about it. So gather in groups, get together, have a feminist book club, have discussions online about, you know, start little Facebook groups like why diet culture sucks or, you know, join Untrapped, of course, to come in and like build a giant community of fierce people. But also just consciousness raising. Like that's another thing I forgot to mention. What part of what was fantastic about the Boston Women's Health Book Collective was that they focused on consciousness raising as well. Yeah. Which is a group of women coming together with very similar experiences and just talking about those experiences. And then at the end of the session saying, well, what can we do about it? And 
bouncing ideas off each other. So I think that's a really helpful way to do it as well. You know, get a group of girlfriends together and talk about some of these issues that you're facing. Talk about the sexism that you see in the media. Mm. Talk about why Michelle Bridges sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then try to figure out well, what are we going to do about it? You'll find that you feel a lot more empowered and truly empowered mm. and a lot less likely to internalise these crappy messages as some sort of individual fault. Yeah, you are absolutely, absolutely right. And it's even been my personal experience with when I was building Untrapped, I wasn't alone. I did it with 12 other female health professionals yeah. who do the non-diet stuff. And it's like literally through all the contact with them, all of the support from them, that I feel it's possible to do this kind of stuff. Yes. There's so much, there's so much richness and experience and support in all of us coming together and pushing back. Yes, that female solidarity is one of the most powerful things that we have. It's amazing. To use it. Yeah, and not using it in a let's join the 12-week body transformation program no. way. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. In a way to challenge these institutions. Yeah, to make them tumble, really. They need to be tumbled. Yeah. Oh, this has been the most incredible conversation. I knew this was going to rock. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. It's been great. Yeah, look, I encourage everyone listening to get this book because it's amazing. It's a mind blower. It's called Digesting Femininities. So, and it's for sale now, isn't it? It is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and unpacking exactly why Michelle Bridges sucks. And <laughs> I'm sure we will speak again. We certainly will. All right. Thank you. That was the incredible Natalie Jovanovsky talking to us about how Michelle Bridges sucks. I hope that you guys feel as satisfied as I did after that conversation because she just makes sense of what's going on in such a beautifully rational way. And I think that with this way of thinking about people like Michelle Bridges, we can really push back a lot and protect ourselves further from all of the stuff that's happening in diet culture. So thank you, Natalie, for writing such an amazing book. I strongly encourage everyone who's listened today to go out and buy a copy of this and spread it around as far and wide as possible because the more discussions that get raised about this, as Natalie was saying, the more we can actually start to see its demise, which is just going to be really good for this world and we can all get back to just enjoying food without all of the malarkey that's going on. If you want to get in touch with Natalie, she actually isn't really on social media because she thinks it's full of shit, which I strongly admire. But you can send her an email at njovanovsky at swin.edu.au. I'll put that email address in the show notes so everyone can find it there as well. So thank you for listening to another episode. I really hope you're enjoying All Fired Up as much as I am enjoying producing it. If you like it, please go to iTunes and rank us and like us and love us and subscribe and do all of that kind of stuff because we really want to get this message out all over the place with pushing back against diet culture. And that can only happen if we're sort of findable on the internet world. And of course, untrapped.com.au is our website and community for pushing back against diet culture. And I invite anyone who's interested in learning more about the program to go along and check us out and download ebook all about weight loss is really a pile of bullshit and get to know us and think about coming on board and joining our community because lovely changes are being made and it's really wonderful to, to be taking all these steps towards 
destroying diet culture and hopefully restoring, you know, sense and intellect and enjoyment and lots of really good times. So I will be definitely back next week with a steaming pile of fresh diet culture bullshit for you all to enjoy. And I will look forward to speaking to you all then. In the meantime, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap. 